it's important to me to know that somebody I'm hiring has the discipline to not only be aware of their time, but take advantage of any downtime. And so one of the things that I like to find out is, you know, do people like to tinker? And it's interesting to me with an SE when they come on and they tell me, again, whether it's a um, hobby that they have or whether it's, you know, in our technology, are they going to be willing and able to just spend time um, creating new things? making the product do maybe something it's not intended to do in a good way. Welcome to Pre-Sales Heroes, which is brought to you by Vivin, the world's first platform for pre-sales. Today, I'm thrilled to talk to Lara Meadows, VP of Sales Engineering at ThreatConnect. I have been wanting to tackle the topic of hiring and onboarding great sales engineers, and Lair has a lot of incredible things to say about it. In this conversation, she'll talk about what she looks for in a hire, how she interviews them, including her approach to evaluating demo skills, and also the very worst interview candidate she ever experienced. Listening to that story is going to make you sweat. Hi, I'm Greg Howard, and I'm talking to Lara Meadows, VP of Sales Engineering at Direct Connect, who's calling out of Virginia. Lara, thanks so much for talking to me today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you're calling out of Virginia. It's 1 p.m. your time. Uh, what did you have for lunch? Well, like many working people these days, I actually have my lunch sitting right here next to me, and I am looking at a salad. My husband and I are doing this health thing for the month of October, so it's a really boring vegan salad. <laughs> so. you never, we never get a chance to go out and eat it anywhere. It's like always right at your desk because there's there's no there's no separation of the of the lunch space and the workspace many times. Exactly, I know it is, and it's always trying to get things meeting one meeting. When can I squeeze lunch in? You know, first maybe we'll just kind of start as we always do with your hero origin story. Um, I'd love to hear how you, how you got into pre-sales because everyone usually has a different way of getting in there. Sure. So I, w- I work in cybersecurity, so I'll start by saying that. Um, and when I first got in, I graduated from Virginia Tech with an engineering degree and went to go work for a government contractor in the D.C. area, which there are so many of. And <laughs> as part of my government contracting, I was working on a classified program. And then this cybersecurity team, which was all new, by the way, was cybersecurity wasn't really a thing back then, um, got stood up and one of the managers over there said, hey, would you be interested in working on this new thing called cybersecurity? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. And through that, I got exposure to a whole world of new products that were coming on board and learning about this whole cybersecurity industry. And then from there, I moved over to an actual product company as an SE. And it was my foray. I didn't even know what SE was, sales engineering. Uh, so it was this whole cool thing, you know. And I went, oh, my God, wait a minute. I get to be technical and I get to be personable. I'm in. And so that's what I did and have worked at several companies since then, starting as an SE, um, moving to a team lead, then to a manager, and then to a VP. So I've worked through the ranks and I've done the role. Uh, I've worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different SEs, and a lot of different salespeople. Yeah, the pre-sales community around cybersecurity seems super strong, and uh, mm-hmm. you, you're, you know, ThreatConnect's doing real well too, right? Oh yes, absolutely. We are the leader in um, threat intelligence and actually orchestration automation. Um, and I remember you had told me this before, and you just hit it again. So pre-sales for you is both uh, <laughs> it's both technical and social. Like sales will be too social and. Being a you know a developer would be too too technical. This is this is the right mix, right? Absolutely, and it's interesting to me. Um, the SEs I've met over the year, the barometer kind of flows right between really sales heavy strengths and really technical um, heavy strengths. 
And it's always interesting to me um, meeting SEs and working with SEs and how do you develop both sides of that. So often I do have to remind, because we tend to hire engineers and I tend to work mostly with engineers, I have to remember tell them to remember, you know, we're sales too, sales engineering. It's part of our title. So how do we get used to that sales acumen and having the sales conversations and not just immediately jumping in to solve problems and tinker and do all that? It's actually funny though, um, how many engineers I've met who are total introvert, or SEs I've met who are total introverts and they get on stage and shine and they perform and they do great. And then at the end of the conference or the show or whatever we're doing, you know, they say, uh, I'm going to go back to my room. I've got to go recharge. And I've got to, <laughs> you know, and I say, okay, I'm heading to the bar. I'll see you later. And it's just this diverse group, but it's amazing to me how many introverts end up being really, really dynamic SEs. Well, it's interesting, right? Because actually my first CEO in my career was, was an introvert, which I had no idea until he told me. And I, I think what happens is, is that you, you, you become a leader because you're a good listener and because you, you really have a sort of empathy for the other person. And that allows you to become a leader. Although exactly to your point, it's kind of hard on them and, and yes. they have to, they have to take some time for themselves after they do it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so interesting. Now, one of the things you had uh, told me earlier was that one of the things you like about hiring and, you know, mentoring and, and raising up a team is that you're, because of your, your mother's profession. And <laughs> I, maybe you can tell me a little about that. Sure. So it, it, my mom was a recruiter, a headhunter. She actually owned her own company. So I grew up with a lot of um, interviewing, coaching, if you will. Um, and we used to joke, you know, at the dinner table, my mom would have questions for us, you know, tell me what your strength is, tell me what your weakness is, you know, and asking all those type of questions. And um, we always had, you know, shake my hand real quickly. Is it a strong handshake? Is it, you know, so all this coaching and little things that I just thought were normal parenting <laughs> conversations, dinner conversations. And it turns out she was preparing us for life and going through the whole interview process and understanding how questions are framed and how to answer them. You must be like the most amazing interviewer on the planet with that kind of training. You know, I don't know about that, uh, but I, I'm, I'm a genuine person too. So I am an honest person. So sometimes my mom's on one shoulder and I'm on the other shoulder. And so I tend to lean towards myself because I want to be my true self. So I end up leaning a little more that way. And I think in my head, oh my gosh, my mom's going to kill me for this answer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about as a as a company like Threckneck, which I think is a little over 100 people. It's it's a really successful startup, but still a startup. Mm -hmm. And you're 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 probably in a lot of cases either building up a team from scratch or building a smaller team into a bigger one. I mean, the hiring is just so critical. Um, I mean, it is any company, but a startup is it's life or death. What are the things you really look for? What do you, how do you look at a candidate and know that this is going to be a great addition? So I, there are. Probably several different qualities that I need. Um, working for a small startup like this, flexibility is one, right? You're coming in as an SE, but you have to be able to wear different hats. Um, since we are small, sometimes you'll be stepping in another role, right? And having to do something that maybe isn't in your quote unquote job description. Um, so that's one of the things that I look for. You know, are people willing? Are they passionate? Are they excited? Um, do they like to work as a team? Do they like to work with other people? Are they excited to see uh, this company grow? And are they willing to invest time and effort to see a company grow? That's really interesting. And you also mentioned something to me about that you like to see if they if they know how to tinker and to build. Can you tell me a little more about that? Absolutely. So for SEs, that's one of the questions that I have when I'm going through the interview to understand a little bit about what's their passion and do they have this knack to want to tinker, right? Um, I, I need to know so many of 
my SE roles over the years have been teleworking, right? Before this crazy COVID hit, um, I, we, we worked from home for many, many years. And it's important to me to know that somebody I'm hiring has the discipline to not only be aware of their time, but take advantage of any downtime. And so one of the things that I like to find out is, you know, do people like to tinker? And it's interesting to me with an SE when they come on and they tell me, again, whether it's a um, hobby that they have, or whether it's, you know, in our technology, are they going to be willing and able to just spend time um, creating new things, making the product do maybe something it's not intended to do in a good way, you know, and that's what I love to ask about. So if I get that feeling in that sense from someone, it helps me under- know that they are going to be a person who can come on and be very good with their own time and their own schedule. And so an answer you're probably trying to get from that is like either I helped expand or enhance the capabilities of the product of my last company, or, you know, I'm working on something that's absolutely nothing to do with any company I've worked for, but it's very technical and it's very cool. Uh, Absolutely. Um, You know, maybe they've worked with previous companies and they see a fit for us worth a previous company. And they want to see, since they have access and knowledge of that product, you know, how can we configure and how can we fit into being a partner with them. Maybe they're involved in an industry um, organization, like a cloud security or something like that. And they want to see how we can be a better fit and be doing, um, getting more visibility and actually playing a bigger role in the way that policies are defined and things like that. So, or they just want to, they see an idea of how we're not doing something with our product. And they think, hey, I would like to see if I can build this and make this work in this way. So all these ideas, and again, it's kind of boils down back down to passion, you know, do I see them wanting to just explode and just run with us? That's what I want. So I'm just kind of curious what your take on the passion and the motivation you just talked about on the continuum of, you know, how much technical domain experience do they have in cybersecurity? Do you have to have a little bit of both or can you really lean one way or the other? Good question. We are, I mean, we're cybersecurity. I find it's, it's a very small incestuous group. Of <laughs> so, um, from that pool, that helps a little bit. Um, as far as I'll say outsiders, and I don't mean to say outsiders by yeah, that, yeah. because there are people who will come, um, into cybersecurity with really unique backgrounds and bring it in. Um, but for the most part, it tends to be people who've grown up and worked in the industry and know know things about it. So there does have to be a foundational uh, understanding. It's really hard to learn because the the evolution of cybersecurity is pretty uh, intense. And so somebody coming in, I've seen salespeople do it successfully. It's harder for SEs because you do have to have that tribal history, um, historical knowledge. It's funny. Somebody uh, that I I hired as an SDR when I worked at a cybersecurity company just became a sales engineer, but she had to be there a couple of years before she had uh, enough knowledge to, to be able to do it. So I, I that's awesome. Um, I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it was really great. I was really happy for. It's, it's um, interesting you say that because I do find we SEs come from many different directions. You know, there's the standard engineer um, direction, but then it's interesting to me to see SEs come over from sales roles. Um, SEs come over from professional services. You know, they see our side of the fence and they say, "Hey, wait a minute! I don't have to bill hours. I don't have to." Um, <laughs> You know, constantly, you know, you do have to deal with customers, but it's a little more forgiving and we get the opportunity to build and propose and help companies 
forge the direction that they're going in, you know, and be, become a part of their evolution and become a part of their strategy, which is awesome, rather than us selling it. And then they have to be the ones who deliver it. Yeah, where, where do you think you, you, you sort of know you've got the wrong person? I, you know, it's funny. I listen for keywords and I, I ask questions. I, if, if you were, if I were to interview you, you would think that I was doing a very soft interview because I really want to get to know your personality. I want to get to know you as a person and, and just understand, are you going to be generally capable of working as a team, working with a team, working with a customer and things like that. But as I talk to people, I hear certain things that cue me in and think, nope, you're not going to be a good fit. Um, so I think there's just certain things, again, are, are working with a team, um, how do you get along with people? The There's the physical factors. I think I told you, um, I once had a person come in and we, as part of our um, whole hiring process. You know, we do the interview, the, the, the interviews with myself, usually with a salesperson, a tech screen with an SE. And then once somebody gets through those three or four stages, we will then have them come in and do some sort of presentation or now we do a virtual presentation, right? And I, I think I was telling you, I like to do a technical presentation, but I let them do the technical presentation on anything they're comfortable with. It just has to be technical because in the past I've seen per, uh, one person came in and did a presentation on themselves, which was interesting <laughs> to see. Like I, there was just a lot of personal stuff that I would. Was, I it, was, it, what, what, was that possibly a little awkward? It was so awkward. Just because <laughs> you're watching this person just share just really personal stuff, but it wasn't relevant and it wasn't. And, and so it just was weird. And then I had another person come in one time and as part of um, his, he was a sweater, uh, sweat and profusely sweat and ended up sweating through his shirt, through his, um, I mean, it was just dripping off his nose and we were sitting around the table and it was so awkward and we just felt so bad. And, and then it was one of those where he dabbed it with a tissue and then there was a tissue on his face and you're like, oh my gosh, make this end, make this end. But it's something that we wouldn't have. He did fantastic through the interview process up until that point. And then once he did the in-person, it was just a totally different story and crazy. But that's like a that's like a sign the, the Seinfeld character they didn't get to because they ended the show with the sweater you know yes. they, they, they exactly this friend the close talker I I, I mean it's it, it's it's a tough one right because there, if, if he had all this if he had, if, you know he or she has all the skills and they just mess up something like that it could just be like a one time thing like maybe their glands were on overload because of too much Red Bull that day. But, you know, uh, it could be, but the problem is, do you take that chance? And especially if you have a handful of candidates, you know, do they make it to the next one? Um, because is there a chance that that could happen again with a customer? You're so right. I mean, it's so tough. You have to make that call, but you have to de-risk the process because like I said, every hire is so critical. So when you have something like that, you have no choice but to act on it. Right. <laughs> yep. That's, it's a hundred percent right. I've had some pretty cool interviews, um, some presentations come in. Um, I had somebody do once on a green egg, the, um, the big <laughs> cooker or the big, uh, barbecue. I, well, that's what he was explaining the whole di thermodynamics of how it works and how it cooks and why it's the best, um, barbecue tool accessory out there. Um, that was interesting. I had one person come in one time and he was really being into backup and recovery and did a whole demonstration on how hard drives are made and ended up actually bringing in um, hard drives for everyone to play with. And so, I mean, he's passing around the table and we learned a whole 
big thing, and this was years ago, but on backup and recovery, why the impo- how important it is and why there's industries out there and solutions. And so it was pretty cool. I've learned some pretty neat things. What, what I really like about your process is I, I have a feeling that people are going to do their best demos, particularly in a very difficult situation, like, you know, like mm-hmm. an interview, uh, when they're excited about what they're talking about and you're giving them the chance to kind of show their show that passion, show, show their, their self when they're really connected to something, which ideally they're going to be once they join the company. So that seems like a really good way of doing it. It, it is. And it's funny because I've worked at companies before where they actually like to give the SE, the potential, the candidate access to our tool and then have them demo that tool to the team. And I really, I didn't like that method hmm. because I don't think it's fair. It's not setting that self up that person up for success. It's interesting because you do get an idea, you get a gauge of how much do they want the job, right? How much time are they going to invest to actually get comfortable with it? But then to present it to us and then to provide feedback and say, hey, you were wrong about this, this, and this. It was just, I didn't feel comfortable. I like, again, giving them something that they know that they're going to be completely comfortable presenting on because they know the technical acumen, they, uh, they know the vernacular, they know what they have to say. The, the thing that's going to be challenging is they're presenting to a new team and need to impress us. That's where their focus is on. You had talked about a trend because cybersecurity is a very, uh, the, the pre-sales people in cybersecurity are pretty sought after. And sometimes you would thought you had seen candidates ask for things that maybe they shouldn't have because they didn't have enough experience, at least from the standpoint of you as a hiring manager. I'm curious, I'm sure every hiring manager faces that. Um, I'm curious how you kind of, uh, what, what's your sort of playbook when you feel like you're getting a comp ass that is not commensurate with the experience of the person requesting it? No, you're, you're so right. And I'm definitely seeing a trend in high salary asks. Um, there's just this expectation that, hey, I've been doing this for two to three years. I am an expert. You know, I'm a principal. I am a senior. I should be making, you know, 250 to 300. And it's amazing to me how they're just, I, I'm just in awe of people who don't have that experience and are asking for those. And actually even people who have been doing it, there's just, we see the salary climbing higher and higher. So depending on the person and how much experience they have, well, first of all, how much I'm allowed to like budget (laughs) first and foremost, but let's put that aside. But depending on the person, how much experience they have, what the role we need them in, do we need someone who's experienced or are we looking for someone who's maybe a little more junior that we're looking to groom and grow? There's that. And then I think being creative, you know, if it's somebody who we just can't match their salary, but we really, really want them, how do we do that? And there's things that we can do where, I mean, th- there's outside, you know, stock and other options. I like training to build training into it. So industry trainings, there's some really cool certifications out there that you can get um, with groups like SANS that the classes are eight to $10,000. So if we can get you an industry certification, you know, how's that? So that becomes like almost like a negotiating posture. Like, well, if you want this, here's what you have to do to kind of show that you, uh, you, you actually are worth that amount. It does. It does. Yep. Or, and one thing, it, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, or if they're just asking ridiculous prices, we'll say, Oh, sorry, we just can't make your, we can't, yeah, 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 we can't sure. you're with people sorry. all the time. Good but one thing you actually mentioned too is that you'll actually try to, to suss out whether maybe that person is worth it. Like you'll you'll spend a little more time on back channels mm-hmm. if that person is might actually be worth a, a little more fighting on your part. Absolutely, I am a huge, huge, huge um, proponent of using your network. Right, first thing I do whenever I get a, a resume is I go out to LinkedIn. Who do I know? Um, who do we have in common, or who do we have? You know, by one or two degrees. 
And then I'll reach out to those people and say, what do you know about this person? What do you think about this person? Um, and see what kind of information I can glean that way and find it out. And it, it's been good. And, and, you know, it's probably, maybe it's backfired once or twice, but I think for the most part, it's been really good because especially depending on who the person is that you're asking, I tend to go if, you know, there's 10 people, I'll pick the closest person, person I know the best and I'll reach out and say, Hey, what do you think? And I'll, if I trust their opinion, <laughs> you know, that's what you have to be well, careful of. That's the, that's the advantage of cybersecurity being so small and incestuous, as you said, that it's probably yes. pretty easy to, to get that visibility. Small world, yes. I, I'd love to kind of maybe end up by talking about um, one of the things that you mentioned to me before is that you're very, really good, actually, at working with your, um, your CRO to make sure your team has visibility and that people understand what your team is doing. I think that's something that a lot of pre-sales leaders struggle with is that if you're kind of seen as the demo resource or, you know, you're kind of this expensive headcount that's not actually closing deals, it can be difficult to get um, the visibility of what that team is actually doing every day. And I'd love to sort of hear about how you think about that and, and kind of your own passion for making sure your team is seen as valued for what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a couple of things there, a couple of little nuggets. Um, One, absolutely. I'm a huge uh, proponent of advertising, right? The SEs, so often we're unsung heroes, right? We do all this work and these huge deals come in and the SEs, the one in the background, they don't necessarily get credit for all the hard work that we do. So I am huge for how much can I I'll say brag about my team, but I'm also really big on individual contributors. When somebody does something, not only acknowledging it to them directly, making sure that my CRO or the sales leader who's been involved, that, that they're aware that how much work that the SE did so that it's it doesn't go unsung. Um, so I'm very big on that. Uh, we have our weekly SE meetings, or excuse me, our weekly um, executive meetings for the sale with our CRO. As part of that, I do try to emphasize, you know, what the latest thing the SE team is doing, uh, what we're working on, what we've accomplished, partially so that they can hear, you know, how much hard work and all the great things that we're doing, but also to know that as they're going out in sales calls, the sales teams are going out be aware that the SEs are now trained on this or have this, they've learned and they have access to this or they've built this. And so it's just something that they can expand on their sales conversations when they're having those out there with customers. So I really think that's an important thing to do as far as advertising and the external communication. Within the team, I think there's a huge opportunity for career paths for growth within the team and giving SEs the chance to grow. I like to give each SE a chance to champion a project. And like you and I talked about just a few minutes ago, you know, tinkering. If there's something you want to build, um, I'm all for whatever resource you need, whatever I can do, but I'm also going to make sure that you get the credit for it and you get the reward for doing that and investing that time and building something, especially if it's something that's going to benefit the pre-sales team or even better, you know, benefit the company. I love doing that. Yeah. And and in terms of, in terms of raising your visibility and and giving them every opportunity, you had mentioned to me about making sure they have career paths both Mm -hmm. in and out of an organization, which struck me as a really kind of profound leadership insight. And what do you sort of mean by that? Well, the, the career, career paths within, and then sometimes, you know, maybe there's opportunities. Well, within the SE organization is what I mean. It's funny. When I first started as an SE, it was 
you're an SE, you can be <laughs> something else. You know, there was no room to grow. So what's wonderful is that we started building career paths for SEs, you know, to grow into a senior SE or maybe a principal SE. And with each of those comes more responsibility and more um, investment in knowing the product, tinkering in the product. Um, and I keep saying the word tinker, I don't mean to, but I just love it because that's what we do. But it's but it's building something, right? And giving you the path to grow and have that invested um, passion and rewarding that passion, you know, that the time that you're spending in doing that. So you can grow within the SE path. I also find it's interesting how SEs, like you and I just talked about a second ago, how people come from outside the SE industry. Because let's be honest, being an SE is the best role in the company, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it is. It's the, uh, it's the big secret. We have a great job. So I love pulling people in from other teams. But sometimes I find that the SEs want to go in different directions, right? And maybe they want to step into sales and have had quite a few SEs do that hmm. um, where they just, they get excited, right? And they see that they think it's easy and they just have a natural knack for that. So it's awesome to give them the chance to do that. Maybe they want to go into professional services. Maybe they want to go into product management. That's what I've seen a little a trend in recently. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I think of more people coming into the organization and out because like you said, people seem to royal love it once they're there. But I have to end with this question. Of the people who went to sales, uh, once they uh, <laughs> encountered yes. the joys of negotiation procurement, did they come running back or did they actually stay? I think for the most part, they did stay. But what was interesting was to talk to them about how much harder it, it is than they thought. I think as SEs, we often don't see all the work that goes into getting that first meeting with the customer. And so when the SE shows up and we think, oh, this is, you know, this is cake, they don't see all the blood, sweat and tears that goes into cold calling and then, you know, and just finding finding opportunities. So it, yeah, but I was going to say for the most part, I would say, and I'll tell you, I've seen some of the most successful salespeople have an SE background because they get yeah. the technical conversation that goes with it. And they understand how to frame it, how to look for pain points, you know, with the customers and then how to build success criteria and define how do we make you succeed, Mr. Customer. Blair, I have to say I'm very envious of your team, the way you think about hiring, the way you think about onboarding them, training them, and then kind of, you know, fighting for them and making sure they have visibility and career paths. It sounds like your team is very lucky to have you and I'm really lucky you joined the Retail Zeros today. Well, thank you so much. This is great. I, I'm talking about one of my favorite subjects, um, which is SEs. I do think, and I love, yeah, it's a great job. And like I said, we're the best kept secret in any company. 